Good morning, South Spring. My name's Gary. I'm glad to be here. Uh, it's the first time I've ever actually been on this campus, and uh, I, I really, uh, really have enjoyed it. I, I, I was hoping they didn't open the blinds, though, because I've, I've never pastored at a church that had windows in the auditorium. You know, when I was at Fellowship uh, here in or Grace and Tyler, uh, we, we were in a gymnasium and then uh, went to Dallas and we were in a, what used to be eight United Artists Theaters. So never had windows. And it's difficult for an extrovert pastor like me to be able to look out because at any given moment in this message, I might just go, a squirrel. <laughs> you know how that goes with extroverts. So glad to be here, and I'm so uh, honored that Chris would ask me, can I just say a thank you, not for inviting me, because you had nothing to do with that, um, but uh, thank you for giving Chris and Ginger a sabbatical. Um, she should be on sabbatical, but uh, she can't stay away, but no. Uh, she said her kids would kill her if she, <laughs> if she didn't, if she wasn't here today. But I've known Chris and Ginger for over probably 20, oh, close to 25 years. Uh, I met Chris when he came, when I was at, here at Grace, and he came, and he was looking for a ministry position. And I was so impressed with them that I thought, man, I would really love to have them on my staff. We didn't have any room at that time, and so I picked up the phone and I made a phone call to the CEO of Pine Cove. And I said, you've got to talk to this guy because uh, he has some skills, some teaching ability, some counseling ability, and I think we could really use him. So that turned into that, and then that turned into this, and I'm, I'm really thrilled. And thank you for allowing him a sabbatical because I know how that works. I've been a pastor for 44 years. And uh, I know that oftentimes when a pastor goes on sabbatical, there's somebody out there going, well, it must be nice. I wish I got a sabbatical. Um, but uh, listen, pastoring isn't any harder than your job. There are a lot of people in here that work harder than, than a pastor does. But the difference oftentimes is that when you're a pastor, you are always on. It's 24-7. I've come off a of vacation to do funerals. Uh, I've been up in the middle of the night at someone's home who's husband just died. Uh, so you are always on. And so I, I always counsel young pastors to make sure your church has a sabbatical policy. Otherwise, you will be reduced to a quivering mass of availability. And uh, your, your congregation doesn't need you to do that. Well, my assignment uh, this morning uh, is to preach a psalm. When Chris asked me to come, I said, what would you like me to preach? I love it when somebody assigns it. And uh, he said, just preach a psalm. I said, okay, that narrows it down to 150 topics. Um, so I thought through it, and I looked at the psalms, and uh, I came upon Psalm 107. And uh, I've chosen that as our text this morning. And just so you know what I plan to do, here are my uh, three points this morning. Uh, I'm going to tell you uh, what I'm going to tell you. Uh, and then I'm going to tell you, and then I'm going to tell you what I told you, okay? Those are my three points here in Psalm uh, 107. Uh, here's what I'm going to tell you. I'll tell you right up front. God, in his steadfast love, will take you where you never wanted to go to make you who he always wanted you to be. 
This is what the psalmist observes, and he does it in a very interesting way. Now, it's a long psalm. I don't plan to preach all 43 verses in this psalm, uh, but I will point out some of the most important parts of the psalm and, and try to pull out uh, what it is that he's, he's experiencing because we are all experiencing the same things that he's talking about. Um, the first thing I want you to notice if you have a Bible, and God bless you if you do, if you don't, may God have mercy on your withering soul. Uh, I'm kidding. It's a, I, I know we've spoiled you. Uh, pastors have spoiled everybody now. You don't need a Bible because you know I'm going to put them up on the screen. Uh, but if you have a Bible, uh, just or a device of some sort. I don't know enough about my Bible app uh, to underline things, but uh, if you have a Bible, here's what I want to invite you to do. Um, I want you to underline a word that appears six times in this psalm, and it's, it's spread out throughout the entire 43 verses. And the Hebrew word is the word hesed, H-E-S-E-D. If we were Jewish, we would say chesed, but we don't like to say that, especially if someone is standing close. Chesed. Uh, but that word shows up uh, six times in Psalm 107. Let me show you where it is. It starts off with that word. So it tells us right away uh, that this is going to be about God's steadfast love. It says, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. That's the word chesed. Then if you go to verse 8, it's repeated. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. If you go to verse 15, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. You go to verse 21, uh, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. And then you go to verse 31, uh, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. And then the very last verse, verse 43, whoever's wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the chesed the steadfast love of the Lord. That's what we're going to do this morning. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about the steadfast love of the Lord. I want you to know this morning, uh, if, if you're not really uh, all that acquainted with the Bible or you're, you're sort of new to Christianity or you've been a Christian, you think for a while, uh, but you don't know much about what you believe because I know there are people that believe and then there's people that don't believe what they believe. Uh, so if, if, that, if that's your situation, then I, I want you to pay close attention to this word because here's the important thing that, that God wants you to know today, that he loves you. That's not a news flash. He loves you, his, but his steadfast love loves you just the way you are, but he loves you far too much to leave you the way you are. And he's going to take all of us through some experiences, and some experiences that are sometimes referred to as the awful grace of God, because we encounter difficulties in our life so that as we press through, our relationship to him becomes precious. When you're going through a tough time, remember, don't let that pressure come between you and the Lord. Let that pressure be outside so that it doesn't separate you, but presses you closer to him. This is kind of where the psalmist is going with this. Now, the word chesed, or steadfast love, it's, it's like a lot of Bible words. It's, it's sort of um, abstract. Have you noticed that? About, a lot of times, Bible words, 
you know, we come to church and we hear someone talk about, one of the ones that's really these days I really am careful with is the word sin. Uh, because we use sin all the time as if everybody understands that. You have friends, you have coworkers, when they hear the word sin, they just dismiss you because they go, ah, that's just one of those Bible thumpers. And, and so we have to oftentimes be careful with how we explain terms. And one of the, my favorite terms in the whole Bible is this one, chesed, which is very similar to the New Testament word grace. So, so we have to talk about these words, um, and especially if you're young. If you're a new Christian, I remember when I first became a Christian as a teenager, I was going to a church, and they used to sing that hymn. Most of you know it. It goes, bring forth the royal diadem. And I remember when they would sing that, I would go, diadem? What is that? And are they really going to bring it in? And do we need it? I mean, is it legal? I mean, I don't even know what. I didn't know what the word meant, right? Nobody ever explained it. They just sang that song. And it took many years before I realized it's a king's crown. And so that's why we sing and crown him Lord of all. So um, the word grace is abstract like that. Chesed is abstract like that. And, and you know that if, if we take a Bible word like that and you get 10 people in a room, you're probably going to get 10 different variations of understanding of what that word means. Um, have you ever noticed two people can look at the exact same thing and come away with a completely different understanding of, of the concept? Or they can look at the same picture and come away with two different observations about the picture. I love to tell the story about when my wife, Jana, my wife is out there somewhere. Is she? Oh, there she is over there. Hi, babe. And uh, w when we had our 30th anniversary, we, we have a daughter who's in the hospitality industry. And so she set us up at a resort. We'd never been to Hawaii. We're going to go to Hawaii. So it was all set. We were so excited to spend our 30th anniversary in Hawaii. So we get to Hawaii, and I remember walking off the plane, and I, I'd never been, so I didn't realize it's not just that it's beautiful, but it smells beautiful. Some of you ladies know what plumeria is. None of the guys do. But some of you, and the plumeria was everywhere, and the scent, I just thought, wow, this place even smells good. And so the first night, I'm up in the middle of the night. I can't sleep. You know, you travel through several time zones. And so I get up and decide I'm just going to walk around the resort. So I put on my Bermuda shorts and my sandals and black socks up to my knees and you know, kind of the typical tourist. So I, I go out and I'm walking around the resort and it's like three in the morning, four in the morning. And sometime probably around five in the morning, I get that craving that many of you get when you're up early and you haven't had your coffee and I start looking for coffee and there's nowhere, coffee's not to be found anywhere. And so I see a light come on in a little souvenir shop. I think, well, maybe they got coffee. I'm running over there and I walk into the souvenir shop. There's nobody in there. Except then as I step inside, this cute Hawaiian girl comes from the back and walks toward me. And she walks right up to me and she says, with a big smile on her face, fallopian tubes. Now, I've never been to Hawaii, so I don't know the proper greeting. And I didn't know, if so, what part of the anatomy you respond back with. And then I thought, well, maybe I didn't understand. Maybe she knows I'm a pastor. Maybe she said, Philippians too. And I thought, that's not likely. 
So I said, I beg your pardon, and just clear as day, she looks at me and says, fallopian tubes. I'm thinking, well, they got a special on fallopian tubes? And I... So, and then it dawns on me in the, in the middle of the night when I got dressed, I threw on a shirt and a shirt that I got at that time I was biking quite a bit. And so uh, I had just completed the hotter than hell 100 mile bike ride in Wichita Falls where you ride your bike for a hundred miles for no apparent reason. So, uh, I had thrown on this shirt, which had the logo of the hotter than hell on it. And I didn't even think about it. I want you to see what she was looking at. This was my shirt that I was wearing. <laughs> now, I don't know. I didn't do well in science in school. I, I, I wouldn't know a fallopian tube from an inner tube. So, <clears throat> and I'm pretty sure fallopian tubes don't have brakes on them. So that story, I love to tell that story because it's a constant reminder to me is that you can look at something or you can say something and it has radically different meaning to people. So today what I really want to try to make sure of is that as we go through this passage that we, we understand what he means by chesed, by the steadfast love of God. It's just not always just sort of sweet and nice and kind, and, and sometimes it's hard, because that's the way love is at times. Um, it's, it's about God showing kindness. It's about God showing favor. It's about God showing mercy. It's about God showing love beyond what is expected. You've heard the expression, <laughs> well, you know, God helps those who help themselves. I want you to know that's not in the Bible. Okay? What is in the Bible is that God helps those who could never help themselves. Aren't you glad? That's because of the steadfast love of God. That's because of his grace. Over and over, God reaches down. Even way back here, the psalmist observes it. God reaches down to help his people up. And the idea of grace is God doing for you what you could never do for yourself. By grace you're saved. A lot of, I think it's the great evangelical heresy that churches like this one, we all know Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, and we say, you know, you're saved by faith. Well, that's not exactly true. Because if you were saved by faith, that would be your doing. That's not what the verse says. It says you are saved by grace through faith. It's a wonderful partnership. God initiates it. His grace, his steadfast love does for us what we can't do for ourselves. And our response is to trust him and to have faith in him. So this is the background of, of this uh, particular psalm. Here's how he does this, because uh, uh, I don't want to preach on all 43 verses. Uh, what he does is he paints four pictures. And he's painting four pictures as illustrations of the kinds of circumstances that we go through in life and how that it's even in those circumstances that we discover the steadfast love of God. In fact, sometimes um, my, my son uh, is getting engaged and, and just bought a diamond and I was in Antwerp. Belgium with mercy ships and thought I would, it's a diamond capital of the world. I thought I'd go look at diamonds. I don't know a thing about diamonds. Which, by the way, when you go to buy a diamond, never walk in this diamond store and say, hey, I don't know anything about diamonds. 
you're, be sure to walk out with a cubic zirconium or something. But anyways, when these people show diamonds, they, they take that diamond and put it against black felt, put the light on it. And I think this is what the psalmist is doing. He's taking these difficult circumstances and he's putting God's love up against these circumstances so that it just shines forth. So check yourself here. There are four circumstances. Let's see which one applies to you, okay? I'll just give them titles. The first circumstance I would refer to as the desert. You might be having a desert experience. Verse 4 of Psalm 107 says, Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Now, I have no doubt there are some people in here that, have, that are in the desert. I mean, you're dry. Your soul has fainted within you. Uh, you thought you were headed in the right direction, but everything's dried up. Maybe all your leads and contacts have dried up. Uh, my wife and I grew up on the Mojave Desert. Spent the first 25 year, years of my life on the Mojave Desert. And there's a real cruel trick that the desert plays on you. We, we live near Air, Edwards Air Force Base where there's a dry lake bed where the first shuttle landed. And uh, I, I can think of many times when I drove past that dry lake bed on a summer's day, you look out across that lake bed and go, wow, it's not dry. There's water out there. But there's not. It's an optical illusion. It's a mirage. And I truly believe a lot of people that I've met, and there have been times in my own life where I thought I was headed for water, and my dry and thirsty soul desperately needed a drink. And yet I kept going and going and going and thinking, Lord, where, where are you? And you may be discouraged in your desert experience right now. Well, I want to see at the end of this message uh, what to do about that. So if you're not in the desert, maybe uh, the second picture he uses, maybe you're in prison. I don't mean literal prison. Uh, stone walls don't make a prison, nor iron bars a cage. You might be imprisoned by your habits. You might be trapped by your circumstances. Uh, you may be imprisoned by your own sinful choices. Um, but look at verse 10 of Psalm 107. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he's talking about self-inflicted suffering. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor, and they fell down with none to help. There are oftentimes we suffer, and a lot of times we don't know why we're suffering. And God doesn't tell us. But there are other times when I know why I'm suffering. It's because I did something stupid. And uh, I learned pretty quickly as a pastor, uh, counseling was not my thing. You know, I would try to counsel people because I thought that's what pastors were supposed to do. But there was a pattern that emerged. I would listen to someone for about 10 minutes. I'd okay, okay, stop right there. Okay, here's what you did wrong. Okay. <laughs> you know, you made a dumb choice. And here are the three things you need to do. Apparently, that's not counseling. You know, <laughs> my prophetic gift would kick in and I would say, you know, we can... But it's amazing how many people would come and tell me, oh, I don't know why this is happening and this is happening. And they would tell me about some crazy thing they did. 
And this is what the psalmist is saying. Oftentimes, we're imprisoned by our own sinful choices. That might be you. You may have made some serious mistakes in the past, and you still bear the marks of that. I did a wedding last night on my way here in Rockwall, and I, I remember I was thinking as I was putting the rings on the fingers of the bride and groom, and I always talk about, you know, pastors always say, oh, the ring is a beautiful symbol uh, because there's a circle has no beginning and no end, and it's made of precious metal, and so your marriage is so precious, and so, yeah. The problem is, that's not what a lot of people see when they see a ring. It'd be nice if they did. Some people see a zero. There are a lot of people not getting married these days. Because they say, you know, it's not going to add anything to my life. Uh, you know what some people see? When they see this, they see a link in a chain. And they've been imprisoned in a, in a marriage and it's not gone well. And they suffer in silence. And that might be you today. The question is, what do you do about that? Don't come to me for counseling. That's one thing I would say. <laughs> The desert, the prison, notice what he does next. Verse 17, verse 17, I'm going to just call this the hospital because he's talking about sickness. Verse 17, some, and he starts all of these with the word some. Some were fools uh, through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities, suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food. What does that say? They, 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 just, they couldn't even eat. Uh, they were sin-sick souls, and, and, and they drew near to the gates of death. And uh, he says, all of us go through periods of time where we probably need a hospital for our soul. Now, let me just say this. I've heard this said, and it's something that I push back on all the time. I've heard people say, well, you know, I really like our church because our church is not a country club. Our church is a hospital. I always put up my hand and say, hold on, let's, let's think about that because I've been to a few hospitals. Tyler is known for their good hospitals. Um, and I've never yet been to a hospital where everybody was sick. The doctors were sick. The nurses were sick. Everybody walking around. I don't know if I could. No, of course not. The majority of people in a hospital are healthy. So they can help the sick. So I, I don't believe churches should be hospitals. Let's just all be sick. Uh, I think churches should be health centers. And we all experience sickness in our soul from time to time. Uh, but let's make sure that we've got healthy people who are growing, who can help and reach out. It's like it says in Galatians, is if, 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 if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such one. It's a beautiful word, katartismos. It's the word for setting a broken bone. If you have somebody who is caught in a way of life that's not helping them, but it's making them sick, then you who are spiritual, and we got to be careful here because then we can easily opt out, right? Well, you know, I'm not spiritual. That's like pastors and stuff. Uh, no, no, no. It means you who are currently walking in the spirit, reach out and help those who are currently not walking in the spirit. So church should be a health center. So uh, the psalmist talks about a desert, 
He describes a prison. He describes a hospital. And then he comes to the big one here in, in verse 23, where he talks about the storm. And some of you are in the middle of a storm. 23, some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep, for he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Notice, he's, he's describing a trip on a ship. Uh, up to the heavens and down to the depth. I mean, you're just the waves billowing. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Um, storms are as unwelcome as they are unexpected. Um, I, I always think when I read verse 23, I think of this statue that I encountered. Uh, I did some of my theological work up in the Boston area, and, and I would have to leave early to beat the traffic, and I had time on my hands, and so I would go to Gloucester. And Gloucester's a beautiful little shipping area, you know, fishing village type place. And I would just walk down the shore. And one day I was walking down the shore and there was a statue there. It's a beautiful statue. You've probably seen it because it appears on a lot of maritime things. And, and it's a guy, it's a, a captain looking out at sea. And then at the base of the statue, it had names of everyone who had ever been lost at sea that had gone out from that place. Tons of names all the way back to the 1700s. And, and then it has inscribed on the statue, verse 23 of Psalm 107, some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. Um, storms, you don't expect them, but they're really, really important to our progress. As a matter of fact, uh, if you recall, Jesus used a storm to train his disciples just after he called them. He calls his disciples. He decides that he's going to now show them what their mission is. And so according to Mark chapter 4, at the end of that chapter, it says, and Jesus said to his disciples, let's go to the other side. And it sound like much, unless you realize, see, Mark thinks we're Jews. Mark thinks we know that nobody wants to go to the other side. So when he wrote that, and when Jewish people read that, their immediate response was, oh, the other side. Why? Because that's the Gentile side. And there's pigs over there, right? They run off the cliff. And, and Jews and Gentiles don't mix, and neither does kosher diets and ham sandwiches. And they're not wanting to go to the other side. And so Jesus puts them in the boat, and they start out, and then the storm comes up. And then Jesus stands. By the way, if you love to study Scripture, compare the end of Mark 4 with the book of Jonah. I've always thought that Jesus was sort of reenacting the Jonah story, except this time he's going to get to the Gentiles, whereas Jonah didn't want to. So he gets them in the boat, and they go. The storm comes up. Jesus stands up and goes, stop it. And the sea is like glass. Here's the part of the story. You've got to read it. This is the part of the story that always blew my mind. It said when the storm came up and the wind and the waves, they, they were very afraid. And then Jesus says, stop it. And now the sea is like glass. 
And you know what the next phrase is? And then they were mega afraid. It's actually the word mega. Wait a second. He just calmed the storm. Why are they mega afraid? Oh, I'll tell you why they're mega afraid. They just realized that the one who created the universe and calmed the storms is in the boat with them. And so he calms the storm and takes them to the other side where they encounter that Gerasene demoniac who's got some serious issues. I mean, he's screaming in a tomb. They can no doubt hear him. I've been to Israel multiple times, probably 12, 13 times. And you can hear the sound from the other side of the lake. You can hear it bouncing off the water. And they're hearing this guy going, out of the tombs, just sort of acoustic. And and then he's got blood all over him because he's been cutting himself. And he's got chains on him. He's naked. I think he's got issues. And so on their way over there, I have no question that probably one of the disciples, I don't know, maybe Peter turned to John and goes, um, I know we want to follow Jesus, but could we start out with like vacation Bible school or something? I mean, <laughs> is this how we're going to start? But here's what Jesus wants them to know. Man, I came to seek and save the lost, and you're working for me. And trust me, if I say we're going to the other side, we're going to the other side. God loves you. He loves you just like you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way, so he's going to mold you and shape you and squeeze you and pull on you, and he's going to do all of those things because in his great love, he'll take you where you never wanted to go to make you who he always wanted you to be. So what do we do with this? Well, uh, let me just um, close with uh, four lifesavers, okay? Uh, if you find yourself in uh, deep water, uh, let me just give you four lifesavers uh, as we conclude. Uh, the first one is this. The God who created the sea controls the storms. He can bring them on, and he can tell them to stop. And this is exactly what he does with the disciples, and this is exactly what he does with you and me. And I know sometimes it feels like, why, Lord, why? How long, as the other, another psalmist back in the early psalms, I guess Psalm 3, where, how long, O oh Lord, how long? Don't we ask that? But the God who created the sea controls the storms. Second lifesaver I want you to take with you is that God uses storms to bring us to our wit's end. Verse 27, that's where that, word, that's where that phrase comes from. They reeled and they staggered like drunken men, and they were at their wit's end. He had taken them to the place where they had no logical explanation of what was happening to them. And I know for some of you, that's where you are. You set out to make your mark on the world. And guess what? The world has made its mark on you. And you may have tried to figure out how th things work, and, and you're now at your wit's end. Um, third lifesaver is this. What do you do when you're at your wit's end? It comes up in every one of these images. Uh, cry out. Because God hears our desperate cries. If you look at verse 6 and verse 13 and verse 19 and verse 28, each time it says, Then they cried out to the Lord. 
They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. So uh, remember, the God who created the storms controls the storms. Uh, the, the, the God who uses storms to bring us to our wit's end, the God who invites us to cry out in our trouble, and then the fourth life preserver is what I told you I was going to tell you. That God, in his steadfast love, will take you where you never planned to go to make you who he always planned for you to be. Verse 30 uh, says that. Verse 30 of Psalm 107 He says, then they were glad after they had cried out. God calmed the waters, and they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. I have a new appreciation for that word as I read it this past week. I just got back from Belgium where the newest mercy ship is sitting in port there, and I went over there to help get chaplaincy started on that ship. And uh, I was riding from Antwerp back to the ship in a taxi cab. And I was, the guy didn't speak hardly any English. And he was having a hard time finding where the ship was. It's only 11 decks tall. And, but it, it's a big port. Antwerp is a huge port. So we were riding along, and I saw the word haven. And I thought, that's interesting. It was all Dutch, all Flemish. And it said haven. And I thought, what? what wonder what that word means. And I found out later the word haven. Haven means harbor. And so he says he will get you to your desired harbor, the place where there's peace and there's calm. So here's my challenge for you. I know that we start out and we want to be successful, but I will say this, in my experience, those who want to be successful better get acquainted with failure. Because all training is at first characterized by failure. If you're going to learn something new, you're going to have to get used to failing. And uh, I've seen that in my children. When they first, have you ever noticed this with these, some of these little kids? You know, when they learn to walk? And they face plant. And I, I watch a kid learning to walk. It's so painful to watch. And you, you know, try to get them away from anything they could land on. They'll usually land on this. Uh, but they, 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 do they ever, I've never seen a kid yet try to walk and fall down and just go, okay, that's it, I'm done. This, this is too hard. I'm just going to be carried the rest of my life. No, what do they do? They get back up and try it again. Learning to ride a bike the same way. Um, I will never forget, I was speaking at Pine Cove, and uh, I was riding my bike, and I was coming back up from Lake Palestine, coming back to the camp, and I noticed way up ahead of me a, a, a group of junior high kids, and they were in the, at the ranch camp, and they were riding their bikes. They were on one of their outings. And, uh, and I watched, and this row of junior high kids, and then there was this big gap, and then there was my son. <laughs> bringing up the rear. That a boy. I played baseball for a long time, uh, played professionally, but I, I was always a catcher, and it all started when I was like seven years old. Nobody wanted to be the catcher. So they said everybody to the fence and back, and the last guy back's the catcher. So I've been a catcher. So he inherited this disease from me. It's called slow. And so he was the last in line, but he was junior high kid, right? When you're a junior high kid, you think, 
I'm small. Oh, look at that guy in my junior high class. He's big. He's strong. And I could see my son trying to keep up with the group. He's pedaling. And then they went up this hill, uh, the last hill they had to conquer before they went back down into the ranch. Well, I decided to speed up. And my son never saw me because he had his head down. And I got in right behind him. And as he's riding, he's trying to get up that hill. And I'm right behind him. I don't say anything. And he gets about halfway up the hill. And then he makes that sound that only a parent can interpret. Because we know our kids and we know what it means when he just goes, mm, which means I'm weak. I'm, I'm never going to amount to anything. All the other kids are stronger. And, uh, and he gets off of his bike and he starts walking it up to the rest of the way until he gets to the top of the hill. And then I came up behind him and I bumped his back tire with my front tire. And he looked around and I, and I said, good job, son. And he went, Dad, it was like, you're everywhere. You're, <laughs> how did you get here? And I told him, son, you've, you've finished. Good job. And you know what? I'll tell you, it was so hard as a dad to not want to help him. At any given point up that hill, I could have just grabbed his bike and just pushed them both up the hill. And something held me back. And I think part of it was I knew this is not the last hill he's going to have to climb. And so he made it. And God does that to us in his steadfast love. God will take you where you never wanted to go to make you who he has always planned for you to be. Nothing makes it harder to see God than our expectations of him. God is always working just beyond our limits. God is always challenging us, inviting us to venture out into the unknown like the disciples, where we're abandoned by everything. We're even abandoned by our prior expectations of God. So I invite you to follow Christ. The invitation this morning is not an invitation to a church picnic. It's a guaranteed passage on a dangerous, difficult journey where anything can happen and often does. But when we return, we'll be much different coming in than we were going out. Oh, one last verse. This is what he says at the very end of the psalm. He says in verse 43, whoever is wise, whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love, the chesed of the Lord. Father, I, I thank you for um, the fact that others have passed this way before. We're not the first ones to be in the desert or we're not the first ones to be imprisoned. We're not the first ones to feel like we're on a, a sea, an angry sea. But Lord, I'm, I'm so grateful that uh, we're here today because others before us, maybe our parents or our teachers or our pastors, they endured great hardship in order to bring this message of your love to us. And now I pray that we as people of God 
would be sensitive to others and share this great message and encourage them to cry out to you and you will be gracious to us. We pray these things in the name of the one who calmed the seas, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.